Welcome to Real Life, the program that talks about the life of real estate in the Hamptons and beyond. The people, the places, and the things that are the pulse and heartbeat of real estate with your host, broker associate of Sotheby's International Realty, John Christopher. Welcome back to Real Life, and today I have with me sales associate for Premier Agency located in Sarasota, Holly Switto. Holly, how are you? I'm great. How are you today? I'm great also, you know. Uh, the weather's beautiful. How's the weather down there in Sarasota? We are actually having a cloudy day, which does not happen very often, and so we are grateful for the rain today. Oh, good. Yeah, especially it always helps, you know, with the... Um, you know, we drink that sometimes, right? That's right. <laughs> Especially in Florida. <laughs> Florida, right. So anyway, this is our 10th year doing real life. And I thought I'd do something different and go outside the Hamptons. That's why I have you on today, Holly. But, awesome. be, but before we talk about Florida real estate, it seems that we've all had a life before doing real estate. Now, you worked in Washington, if I'm not mistaken, for 15 years and was awarded a Schedule C to the Reagan-Bush administration. Now, That's I got to ask you the silly question. It's not a tax right off, right? The scale, I know on my taxes. I no, no, it's actually the difference between there are Senate confirmation uh, positions uh, that, you know, positions that require Senate confirmation and the Schedule C does not. Ah. So it's a political appointment, but not a Senate confirmed position. How did yeah. you like those years in Washington? I loved it. It was so exciting with you know, parties and, you know, and, uh, and, and it, I mean, it's the seat of power, you know, for our government. So you're, you're in the thick of, of uh, what's happening in our country and around the world. So, um, so yeah, it was, a, it was a great honor and, uh, and very exciting. Right. And so now you're, you're, you've uh, relocated to Sarasota. How long have you been in real estate? In, I've in been Sarasota. in real estate uh, 14 years and wow. I got into real estate when I moved to Florida. Huh. Um, yeah. Prior to that, it was uh, Washington and meeting planning and, you know, that kind of thing. So, right, right, right. Marketing. So, let me ask you a question. I was down in Sarasota years ago and um, has it changed in that uh, 14 year period? Have you seen any? Oh, changes? yes. I mean, I started coming here in the mid seventies when I was in high school and to see the changes from when I started coming here to even, you know, 14 years ago when we came here, our market has uh, and lifestyle has changed. It's always been a wonderful place to visit. I mean, it's tropical. And, you know, even in December and January, you know, our average temperature is 70 degrees. So there's like rarely a bad time here in terms of when the weather, right? 70, I mean, like out now in the uh, uh, Western states, you know, they're up at a triple digit on the temperature scale. I mean, oh, no, we don't we we don't get that hot in the summertime. We're in the 90, like low 90s. Every once in a while, we'll push up there to 95. But generally in the summer, we're high 80s to low 90s, you know, 90 to 93 at the top. So you're not boiling. And then in the wintertime, yeah, in the wintertime and during the days, we're in the 70s, 
you know, maybe sixties if for, you know, and, and high forties or fifties at night, if we're having a cold snap that lasts for a week, but you know, so our temperature averages out, you know, our averages in the winter is 70 degrees. So that's, that's great. That's it. it is. So is that, do you think that's one of the reasons people are uh, trans um, moving to, to Sarasota? Have you seen Oh, place? I do. We have such a lovely quality of life here. Our beaches are consistently ranked, you know, number one, number two in the country. We have the sand that we have here is white quartz and it is just so beautiful. And the, and the, uh, and the waters are so blue, but in addition to that, Sarasota, uh, Bradenton area has a, uh, a lot of really, uh, of wonderful restaurants, a lot of arts and music, um, we have the Van Wezel, which brings in, uh, off Broadway, you know, and lots of theater kind of, um, activities here. And so it's, it's really, it's just a great quality of life here that, you know, and there's a lot of, um, active lifestyle, uh, type situations with, uh, we have a, a bike trail here. So there's a lot of cycling happening and, and a lot of exercise. So in general, I think, you know, you just live a, a healthy um, lifestyle here. That's, um, that's very appealing. You know, I mean, it, it, the quality of life is just amazing here. So oh, I think awesome. that is what's drawing people is, gotcha. is that. Mm -hmm. So let me issue the question of um, what was the, the, the market there like before the pandemic, during it, and now? Well, for the last 10 years, we have had a lovely, steady market increase. You know, we've had good inventory. We've had uh, builders have had, you know, building custom and some spec homes. And it's just been a steady increase in terms of value and purchase. Uh, so I would call it, you know, kind of a normal market, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, that was uh, pre-pandemic. Uh, during the pandemic, we still had some, um, uh, you know, purchases, and we started to see a shift in our market of people, you know, both coming here and inquiring about coming here. And then post-pandemic, I would say, uh, you know, we were shut down for about two months, like everybody was, right? Uh, and then after that, we literally had an explosion, and we have not stopped since. And so our uh, inventory pre-pandemic, and so I'm just going to uh, throw a couple of numbers out there. Sure. In a in a normal market, our inventory for uh, for residential is about 1,400 um, units, single family homes, that kind of thing. Today we we have 886 listings on the wow. MLS. I know it, it's amazing. insane. It is. It's crazy. So we and when things uh, come on the market, you can expect a multiple offer situation. So you just have to plan for that and be patient. You know, there um, there is uh, they say there's a you know, there's a home for everybody, but you really do have to be patient. If you're in a big rush to find a home, it, that is not a good and not a good situation for right now. Wow. And then the other problem, of course, that we're experiencing, which I think everyone in the country is experiencing, uh, especially for new construction, is a lack of materials. You mm. know, the builders, first of all, the builders were being careful anyway, um, in terms of 
not building too much, even prior to the pandemic. They were being conservative because so many of them got built and got burned in the market downturn that we had, um, you know, a decade ago. Uh, but um, they're cautious. They were yes, cautious. They're, they, they were being cautious. So they everyone was blindsided by what happened after uh, after our market opened up, uh, you know, late uh, in the early summer last year. And so uh, and now builders are having trouble getting materials to 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 build product. So we have that issue. Um, so, you know, you go to these lovely new construction communities, but, you know, you they are being very slow about rolling out their lots to, to purchase. And and of course, then they're also having trouble getting materials to actually build the build the product, build the homes. And so there's a little bit of uh, and so what's it going to cost? You know, there's the other issue. So they they write a contract today and they may not start it for several months. And then what are the materials going to cost then? Because we've seen it, seen an increase in the cost of materials. Right. So. So there is there's a lot of things in play right now, and we are expecting this same uh, issue uh, to continue into yeah. 2022. Wow. Yeah. So, so is there a what are builders doing? I mean, from the standpoint that are they knowing that, of course, the, you know, lumber's gone up, uh, I think even nails. Um, how do they how do you sell house? In other words, for you to coming in as a as an agent. And somebody says, geez, I love this community. I want to build a house. What's the turnaround time, first of all? And well, yeah. Go ahead. And the second question I have is, how do you put a price on it? If, let's just use a round number. Say it's a it's a million and a half. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, do you put the price at, you know, sign a contract and say, okay, it's a million and a half. And now the builder's into the property and it's going to have a break even at the end of construction. Um, how do you deal with that? So it's two well, questions. Yes. Uh, you know, I think different builders are dealing with it in different ways. Some builders actually have, uh, I was in a Lennar community recently, and they actually have inventory of, of material to build because they build more spec, right? They, you only have very limited choices in that community. Um, other uh, builders are dealing with it in, in terms of smaller quantity of options um, and, you know, pricing it out, pricing your choices out closer to construction time so that they can, um, you know, so that they don't, aren't ending up upside down either, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, I'm in a few chat rooms where I've actually heard, you know, builders coming back to buyers and saying, look, we can't build this property for this amount of money. So, um, you know, you either have to come to the table with more money or, you know, or the contract gets canceled. So there is a bit of, um, a bit of an unknown right now with new construction, unfortunately. So, and they're also uh, doing, I think they're making up a bit of their, um, a bit of their hedging a bit on their, on the lot sales um, because the communities I've been in recently, a uh, new construction are actually auctioning um, their lots. So they're seeing a, a bigger, you know, where before they used to just price a lot and that was what it cost. 
now they're actually putting lots out for bid. And before they start construction. The, before they even start construction. Right. Huh. So, so they might get more money. Correct. Right. They're getting more for dirt. Right. Um, before they even start the process. So. Fascinating. Yep. Yes, it yeah, is. Maybe this will all correct it over time, but who knows at this at this juncture. Yeah, um, I'm hoping. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, it always does. Right. We, right. We, it, it, it's all sick. Our economies are all cyclical. So um, eventually this will settle down. So. So what kind of advice can you give to a uh, potential buyer? What do you tell them? Like uh, uh, somebody up here in the Northeast says, geez, you know, Sarasota, I have some friends that have moved there. I want to go there. Hello, Holly. Yes. What do you recommend I should do? Well, you know, again, patience is a virtue for sure in this market. Um, the other thing, of course, cash is king. It gives you uh, more bargaining power. Uh, and then if you can't do all cash, the more that you can show uh, that you can put down also looks better because that, is, you know, it shows that you're, uh, that you're, uh, financial position is a bit more stable. Um, so those are a couple of things you can do. Um, you know, beyond that, just don't be in a big hurry. You know, I think you've heard the term FOMO, fear of missing out. You know, I'm working with a couple right now who, who, whose instinct was to jump on something. And I said, well, you know, let's talk about that. You know, is this the, this is really not what you've been looking for. So, um, you know, don't be too anxious to just jump on anything that pops on because, you know, at the end of the day, you know, your home is the place that you go to each evening and or you spend a lot of time every day and it should make you it should be comfortable and make you happy. Right. Absolutely. So, so how can someone get in touch with you? I mean, to, to, to find you. Yes. Well, uh, my phone number is the best. I, I have a pretty big website. Uh, presence. So you could search my, my name, but my phone number 941-735-3186. That is my cell number. I am always a typical real estate person. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to Real Life on the only NPR station on Long Island, WLIW 88.3 FM. This is John Christopher, and we'll be right back after this short intermission. Welcome back to Real Life, and this is your host, John Christopher. And today I have with me Barbara Feldman, who is a, an award-winning Hamptons interior designer. Barbara, how are you today? I'm great, John. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. You know, before we talk about interior design and you sharing some tips and advice about it, let's talk about you. How long have you been an interior designer? I've been an interior designer for 45 years. Wow. 45 years. I, I had different... Uh, I, uh, for the first 30, 35, I actually focused on healthcare and hospital design. And I did residential as well and other types of commercial uh, projects. I, I actually, <laughs> I designed car showrooms for a while. And car shows? Very high end car showroom. Mm -hmm. Wow. And, uh, and then because I come from a medical family and it, it just seemed natural for me, I started to do doctor's offices and that grew into bigger projects and bigger projects. And I ended up designing hospitals. Fantastic. So what led you to become a, an interior designer? I mean, 
Were you, as, especially as a kid, I mean, did you know that this was something you wanted to do? Were you designing like dollhouses, the interiors? And, no. I mean, how, no. Okay. I wanted to be a vet. But oh. in those days, women could not go to vet school. So they, I mean, there were like no women in vet school. I actually have a degree in bio. And then um, I started to, I, I came back, remember what the year it was. It was 1971. You know, I, I was out of college and with a degree in biology, and I was basically a hippie. So uh, my grandfather, who was the deputy mayor of his town in New Jersey, West Orange, said to me, get some teaching degrees, I'll get you a job. And I went, okay. So he got me a job, and I started to uh, teach science to elementary school kids. It was really not a good fit for me, but I started to take design courses while I was doing that at Parsons. And I realized I just seemed to gravitate towards it. And I morphed over into taking some projects and it just developed from there. You know, 45 yeah. years is a long time to be doing something. Yeah, well, and you do it well. I mean, obviously your, your last project that you had was uh, uh, the uh, testimonials from it were quite extraordinary. So you must be doing something right. Well, I seem to be able to tap into whatever it is the client is looking for. And I have a style. I, it's, it's, um, I don't do trendy. My work is not trendy. You probably couldn't tell a project that I did 20 years ago from a project I did last year. Um, because it just, it, it's just the way I work, everything. But you know what? I, I came up with a title for it because I was looking at your last project. And it, to me, it just seems like elegant chic. Well, that's a good that's a good one. I'll take it. You'll take it. Okay. I'll take it. Right. <laughs> Let me ask you another question. Okay. Did you have mentors? Because uh, I know you've uh, been a mentor to uh, other designers. And uh, along the way, what kind of advice, what was the best piece of advice that you got and that you still employ today? You know, John, I never really worked for a company. I never, I had people working for me as, as my practice grew in Manhattan. I had seven people working for me at one time, but I am a quintessential entrepreneur, which means I don't really listen to anybody. I do exactly what I think is right for me and for my business. And uh, now it's really wonderful because, because of the internet, I do interface with thousands of other designers all over the world, all over the country through Facebook groups, designer groups. And it's made life a lot easier because where I was making decisions all by myself all those years, now I have people to bounce things off of. What do you think about this? Does anybody know where to find that? How would you handle this situ situation? And it's, it's, it's much easier. It's like having a team to work with. And, and I do find that all these designers, you know, younger, some my age, some in between, are very forthcoming with ideas and we share and, um, and, and it's been very helpful. Very you know, helpful. It sounds like there's a camaraderie uh, amongst you. Is that what you feel? It really is. Yeah, there is. And I think we all encounter similar issues and similar problems. And some of it are business decisions, you know, or con contractual agreements. How would you handle, you know, how do you have this in your contract? And some of them are, are strictly design, you know, design, conundrums that we have to work our way through. Right. So, let's, let's talk about some of the things, you know, some of those conundrums. Um, 
you don't just do interior design, but you do the, like the whole ball of wax from gut renovations, expansions uh, to, to kitchen and bath uh, layouts and stairway designs. Well, now, go ahead. I, I'm sorry. Go ahead. You know, no, I, I, I think that people need to understand the difference between decorating and design and design build. Decorating is, because a lot of people don't understand that. And what I can say is that many or most designers incorporate decorating into their projects, but decorators do not necessarily incorporate design into theirs. Decorating is more the application of materials, finishes, selection of furniture, furnishings. Design involves more um, hands-on uh, space planning, lighting design, electrical plans, documents, construction documents and specifications that contractors need in order to execute uh, a project. It more often involves um, kitchen design and bath design, as you said, and is a little bit more complex. And you need to be uh, have an education and a degree to call yourself a designer. Uh, well, let me I, ask you a question. So when you, okay, just say a, a kitchen renovation, you, you design also the, where you go in and change the whole plan of the kitchen and come up with a whole new design. Is that what you're saying? And also, oh yeah. So sometimes I relocate the kitchen altogether or I will move a bathroom or I will change entries and entrances and dimensions in order to make the design goals come to fruition. Because the first thing that you do, or that I do when I meet with a client, is to talk. I ask questions. What do you want? What works for you? What doesn't work for you? I, I, I just get as much information as I can. And I take that information and I turn it into a space plan. That seems to be my particular forte, space planning. And I enjoy it very much. Yeah. Now, you have a number of alphabet uh, titles after your name. Uh, for example, CID. AFDA, do you have what? to go to school for the, these designations? Uh, well, CID is Certified Interior Designer. That, that's a designation that you get through accreditation. Allied AIA means that I am affiliated with the American Institute of Architects. And I was able to do that because I did work and partner, <coughs> excuse me, with an architect for many, many years. And my work, um, more, more the um, commercial, what we call contract design, uh, leans in that direction. And I did so many projects of that nature. And some of them were really quite large, like 40,000, 50,000 square feet. And, um, and the other is a, an industry group that people in the industry, uh, in, interior furnishings and design association. And then GC, I am a licensed and insured general contractor in the town of East Hampton. So uh, I got that so that I could effectively manage the projects that I design without having to go through a third party or having my clients have to go through a third party. Meaning first you complete the design, then you give it to a, a general contractor who then builds it and then they still pay the designer to be on the site so that they can make sure that what is being built conforms to the design intent. When so, I started to realize it was more efficient for me to do everything, and, and I'm not the only one, by the way, it's, just, it's, it's a huge faction of, of uh, the industry, where design build is one contiguous process. It's very efficient. You're one step ahead of the sheriff most of the time, but 
you eliminate the need for a middleman and um, it helps the client. And also if there are changes or adjustments that need to be made as the construction is happening, which is inevitable. Right. It happens a lot. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You know, it's funny, but you you say that because I had a project uh, where I, the architect and the um, contractor just didn't, see eye to eye and i always thought that was like i had to act as a go-between uh just to get the project done but it's uh, and if you eliminate that uh i think that's great because you know you have the thoughts you know how to lay it out and you and you tell them if you're as a general contract that's fa- fabulous i didn't wasn't aware of that you know something else that you do that um in this project that i had worked on was uh, stairway design and i recall working with the architect that you would think a stairway is so simple and yet it's takes up a lot of space. I mean, depending on how you situate a stair. It's uh, so complex. Stair design is so complicated because you're dealing in fractions of inches when it comes to the risers and the treads, the handrail, there are codes that apply. It is very complicated. And I do, I, I happen to enjoy it because there's an aesthetic component to it as well. But I do work with certain companies when it comes to stair design uh, who specialize in that. And we interface to make sure that um, we get it exactly the way we want it to be. So, but that's, stair design is very, very complicated. But I do that with kitchen design too. I work with certain um, manufacturers and installers and we make sure that all the details are in place before we order anything and before we install. So. Yeah, you know, it's interesting you say that because yeah, your last project, um, which I really admired, um, did you have any challenges? Because I, I understand that it's, uh, you know, the supply chain is becoming, it's difficult to get just even basic furniture. I mean, uh, you know, no. people are going in saying, I'll buy the sample. Um, this is so diff- This has been the, the toughest year in all the years I ever did design. We can't, we couldn't get anything. I'm still waiting for, believe it or not, a chair and an ottoman since November. And why? Because they can't get the foam to fill the cushions to deliver the chair. Nine months, because foam was made with a petroleum-based product. So when Texas had that freeze, we lost all of that. And it's, and the industry itself um, has lost, so people could not work. So um, when we started to come back, all the manufacturers were on skeleton crews and it slows everything down. People are not working in the factories. It was, I would say, the most difficult year in design. And this was more of a, um, the main floor of this project, it was a 9,000 foot house, was a uh, decorating project, the, up, the upper two floors. But the bottom floor, the lower level, was a little bit more complicated because I designed and installed a home theater, a gym. And that sounds simple, right? Until you start about the floor, right? What kind of floor and what kind of subfloor and how big are the equipment and is there room to locate it and use it? And it's, it's, you know, everything looks simple after it's done. Uh, We put in a sauna and then- design that too, right? I'm sorry? Did you design the sauna? I mean- the, The layout. The layout of the sauna. And I had somebody build it and install it, right. I mean, gotcha. I don't swing a hammer, if that's what you want. <laughs> no, I, I don't swing a hammer. I would hit myself in the thumb, you know, but, right. but I know how to tell them to do it or where to do it or what I'm looking for. Right. 
And then, no, we brought in a pool table because it was it was the let's have fun area downstairs. And it was is fun. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's that's the name of the game. Uh, So how can somebody get in touch with you? They have any questions about interior design? Well, my website, Barbara Feldman Interiors dot com dot net, I think it is. I don't even know my own website. <laughs> been on it that long. Hamptons Interior Design dot net will get you to me. Um, my email is design at Hamptons Interiors dot net. You can get to me. You can Google me. At this time, I will say that I am taking only limited projects. Um, I have uh, finishing up this big one. I have another one that I'm in the middle of renovating and uh, then I'm starting a kitchen and bath renovation. That's fantastic. Barbara Feldman, it's been a delight having you on the program. This is John Christopher for Real Life. and And thank you so much. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. Yes. Thank you, Barbara. This is John Christopher again for Real Life. And thank you again for taking the time to listen and remember to have an awesome journey. You have been listening to Real Life, the program that talks about the people, the places, and the things that are the pulse and heartbeat of real estate in the Hamptons and beyond with host John Christopher, who also created the music for Real Life. WLIWFM's Delaney Hafner and Kyle Lynch provide production support. Thank you for joining us for Real Life right here on listener-supported 88.3 WLIWFM. Long Island's only NPR station, which you can also find on your favorite streaming apps and at wliw.org radio.